0: Hey, Vinny. Hi, Tyler. How you doing? Just another Monday and just another big fly pop. There we go. So oh. i right back at the left, and
1: he's gone. Swung on a to right field. There it goes.
0: See ya! Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, folks. Welcome to episode 64 of the Big Fly Pod with your co-host Vinny and T. Lou. We have a wonderful interview for you all today that I've been thoroughly excited to bring this man on. Uh, this man is Ariel, Ariel Cohen. Uh, he is a fantasy baseball writer and the creator behind the ATC, or the Average Total Cost Projection System, that provides projections for players for fantasy baseball. The ATC system was voted upon as one of the most accurate rankings and projection systems over the last few years. Ariel's impressive background includes being voted the Fantasy Baseball Writers Associations or FSWA's Writer of the Year in 2019, along with other awards and nominations. While he is manifesting player seasons, he is also the host of the Beat the Shift podcast you can find on your preferred podcasting outlets that include Apple, Spotify, and you can also find them on YouTube. Ariel, thank you so much for joining us, sir.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. What's going on?
0: Nothing much. It's a Monday here. Um I know we were able to talk a little bit beforehand here about, you know, your background and man, we just went on almost on a tangent that we should have started clicking record there from the beginning. Um but we're really excited to have you on as I mentioned earlier uh, earlier is that um, you know, I, I personally have gotten into fantasy baseball heavily here over the last year. And I give a lot of credit to Vinny for getting me into that. Vinny has been in fantasy baseball for what Vinny at this point, how many years coming up
2: on 10 now it feels, I mean, yeah, it's almost 10 years of dynasty and redraft and keepers. And, you know, and actually this is why I'm really excited is because I have never done an auction league out of all the leagues that I've oh. done. And I know that your system, you know, Kind of tailors to that. And so I'm really excited. I'd love to do one this year. Um, so I think this is going to be awesome for me just to learn.
1: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, auctions are more American than the snake drafts. I mean, we're talking <laughs> about more freedom to do everything. No waiting. All hands on deck. A fierce battle. Snake draft, you wait. You get the, if you're on the ends, you can wait for 30 picks. You can fall asleep. But uh, auctions, it's American, baby.
2: I've never heard it put that
1: way.
0: Uh, That was really well put. And you just might be the best salesman we've had on this podcast here yet. Um, Ariel, let's, let's, let's tailor back a little bit. Let's talk about your background. Um, I want to learn first your love for baseball. Where did that start? Did you grow up in the New York area? Kind of walk us through all that.
1: Yeah, I grew up in, uh, in Queens, uh, it was about a, maybe a 30 minute walk to, uh, Shea stadium. I mean, usually I would have obviously go in the car, but we could walk it. Um, and my dad used to take us to games. Uh, used to take us to probably about six or seven games a year. We would sit in the upper deck for like five out of the six and one game. My dad would buy like uh, like a box seat or something, just one special thing. And we would go with my mom. My mom would, just do her needlepoint. Not even know what's going on. There's the national anthem, and she didn't realize it was there. And she was just doing her needlepoint. But yeah, we used to do that. We used to watch games. Uh, the Mets were my dad's team. My dad, big baseball fan for forever. I mean, uh, Willie Mays was his his favorite player growing up. He was a New York Giants fan. He used to argue with his friends, who's better, Mays or Mantle? We're talking old school, you know, guys. And yeah, and so that translated to me and. Uh, I just kept watching the Mets. The Mets had a couple of good years back in, uh, you know, 2006, 2005, 2006, all those years. You know, 90s, they were good at times. They're good in the early 90s. They're good in the very late 90s, went to the World Series. So, you know, there you go. And uh, got my love baseball. And, and I play baseball. I've been playing uh, recreational softball for like uh, about 25 years now. Uh, and I, I run a bunch of leagues. I run, uh, I run uh, my local little league. I run the softball leagues at night during the day. I just love being around baseball, talking about baseball. And of course playing fantasy baseball, uh, you know, after college, I, I got, uh, got married, got into it and uh, joined a home synagogue league. And uh, yeah, I just been playing ever since and just been doing more and more.
0: Wow. I, I, I this is why I love doing interviews, Ariel, is because you just see like just off like just your Twitter page or just your podcast and you're just talking about baseball and all the other things that people like yourself get into. And that is just amazing. What led you then to your career of being in fantasy baseball? Did that start as you started writing for fantasy baseball? Was it another avenue? Walk us through that.
1: Yeah, well first of all, if my career is not fantasy baseball, that's my side hustle. Uh, I'm I'm in during the day, I'm uh, I'm an actuary. I work for a large uh, insurance reinsurance worldwide company. Uh, I do risk management. I do uh with something called reinsurance, buying insurance for insurance companies. So that's the whole other side. Uh but as far as joining the ba- fantasy baseball industry, you know, I I I started playing and I played my home league and you know, I'm I'm a numbers guy, so how do I win how do i dominate i said well let's just start with projections and and i didn't really know how to do a projection system but i saw a bunch of those out on the internet and i said all right well let's take all of them and let's see what each of them suggests maybe some projections are better for homers and some are better for pitcher strikeouts so i took the best and brightest of what i thought was good and what worked and i put together a projection system which obviously turned into what atc is now uh, and I started winning. I was winning like the four years, five years in a row or money finishing, I don't know, seven out of nine years. some crazy thing like that. And uh, one day I, you know, I said, uh, hey, what, what can I do more? I used to follow the tout wars, the experts. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to go. I started going to the first pitch conferences uh, back. Ron Chandler and Baseball HQ had these like three hour conferences on a Sunday. I used to go up to Boston. I used to go up to Boston for work, and it was literally right there the same weekend. So I'm like, all right, let's give it a shot. And it was awesome. It was great to see these experts talk, and I was just a guy sitting somewhere in the middle of the room, uh, soaking up all the stuff. And um, you know, I-, I-, I talked to Peter Kreutzer, who's from Doubt Wars. I said, all right, uh, what should I do uh, to you know to play more, uh, to be- try my next level? Um, I played the Doubt Wars which was the contest against the experts. Basically, you, you see what all the Tatworth players played, and then you can grab any player you want if you pay a dollar more. Because it, it's technically a salary cap league, but it was based on Tatworth prices. And I did that, and I won second place national. And so I said, hey, what should I do next, Peter? He said, why don't you play the NFBC, the high stakes game? So the first year, I took my ATC projections. I went, it was 1500 bucks or whatever it was. We played the big stakes, and I won. And the following year, I won again. And oh, I think I really got something here. Um, we had a couple of writers who was in our league from Fangraphs. And, you know, you, you, you play the league, you get friendly with them, you talk to them. And they they said, hey, what's going on? I said, yeah, I got pro- pro- this projection system. And he said, you know, our 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 editor, Eno Saris, would will, will, will really love this kind of stuff. Let's get you in touch with him. And I talked with Eno Saris, and he was intrigued. He got me to, t- uh, to talk with the head of Fangraphs, David Appleman. And he's like, yeah, let's let's put this on this site. And, you know, you offer me some money, and here we go, and published it. And that's how I got on Fangraphs, just as a projections guy. I didn't write a single thing. I just put projections for a couple of years. Yeah, and somewhere a couple of years later, you know, Saris, who's the editor, just asked a random question on email. Hey, Ariel, do you think middle infielders are overvalued this year? And instead of just saying, yeah, I wrote, I don't know, what would be like a three-page article with charts and stuff explaining it. And he's like, yeah, can, we, can we publish this? And I said, okay, uh, sure. Uh, Paul Sporer took over as the editor of Rotographs at that time. Uh, so they published it. And I don't know, a month or so later, I said, hey, you mind if I put some bold predictions on? And he, I submitted it. And he said, sure. And then I wrote another article, I don't know, maybe five months later. And I submitted it. He's like, oh, this looks good. And he posted it. And next thing I know, I'm being nominated for Writer of the Year by the FSWA. <laughs> Um, so I, like my phone was going wild. What? What's ding, ding, ding. What? You've been nominated for a writer of the year, article of the year. Like what? Um, so yeah, as soon as that happened, Tout Wars they asked me to join, uh, to, to be a member of, of one of their leagues. CBS asked me if I want to write for them. Um, so it sort of came to me just from being there and writing an email And next thing I know, I'm writing articles. And the following year, I was nominated again for writer of the year, and I won. So uh, it sort of just happened that way. I didn't ask to, hey, I want to get into this industry. I was just a fantasy baseball player, and I just talked to the right people at the right time, and uh, they found me. So that's sort of how I got into this all.
2: Well, first of all, congrats on all your accolades, right? That's very impressive. And, you know, I think I wouldn't short set, you know, because – I think you put yourself in that position like you you know you mentioned you were winning for years and years and years and you you did your own projections i think that took probably tons and tons of work obviously like i see some of the stuff that you do um you also mentioned paul spore i i don't tip i don't listen to your podcast but i listen to paul and justin sure. and jason religiously um from rotograph so um i get a little bit of of their info as well um and i'm curious so you've been playing for quite a long time now Do you notice or or how have you noticed fantasy baseball has changed since you started? Like, I'm sure that you've probably had quite a hand in some of the changes. I'm sure you've taken a very numerical approach and maybe your day job as an actuary has kind of helped you, right? You seem like a numbers guy and obviously you kind of do numbers on the side. So have you noticed, I mean, numerically has, has fantasy baseball changed or how has it changed over the last 15, 20 years?
1: Um, I I can answer that so many different ways. Sure. Um, I mean, first of all, just with the amount of knowledge that people have has just grown. I mean, 10, 15 years ago, uh, I, I had and everyone had what's called sleepers. I knew guys who were just so undervalued. There's nobody, especially those who play high stakes. You can't get by anybody. There's so much information people read and so much information people study and all these statistics. There's like no sleepers. You you. Obviously, you can take a guy who's, you know, oh, maybe he'll get a shot. He's in the minors, and and okay, that'll turn out. But there's nobody that's just a sure bet. Oh, wow, I forgot about this guy in the 20th, fifth round, and you value him in the 12th round. There's there's no such thing. The information is just so much. There's so many podcasts, there's such good articles, and they're all great quality, right? There, there's just so much good information that everybody is more into it. The high-stakes leagues are. Are a lot about the roster construction, a lot about knowing when to take risks. It's less about the players because everybody knows the players, all right. Um, you also get a different, a different way that people value players. When I first started, if you took a pitcher in the second or third round, they would say that you're crazy. Um, if you spent in an auction more than maybe twenty dollars on any pitcher, they'd say you're crazy. And I was taking like Clayton Kershaw. After he won the Cy Young, and I spent $19 on him, and everyone's like, whoa, that's a big spend. And I'm thinking like, I value him at like $34. You know, they just totally mispriced it. Now you go to the NFBC, you go to these high-stakes leagues, Spencer Strider could be the number five pick. Um, and people have caught on to the fact that pitchers provide a lot more value, even though it's it's volatile, but there there's more value to it. So the landscape of how you draft has changed. The the whole landscape of the information has changed i mean when i started people would trade regularly we would have trades in our leagues trade this guy trade this guy i could hardly trade because everyone thinks i'm going to screw them if i trade right why would i trade with ariel cohen i'm going to screw them and he
2: must know something that i don't yeah yeah. (laughs) so
1: in home leagues i can't trade in expert leagues they have their own intuition about a player they don't want to trade so there's less of that to go around um, it's very very different informationally I'm not and also there's just in baseball in general, there's more volatility and there's more injuries there was not that many injuries when when we were first starting now players are injured all the time in pitchers would go two hundred innings regularly. you would have set closers it was now it's all chop and put this together ad hoc so the game has changed also that I'm not sure for the better. I liked the game a little bit better back then. But I love the information part of all of it. I love that people are so astute.
0: It, I, I want to talk a little bit about ATC. And I actually was thinking of this question as you were discussing how you have put together all these numbers and how people shouldn't trade with you. And from how many times throughout your career, when you put together these projections for the upcoming season, do you say to yourself, I may not even trust these particular projections based on maybe you just watching the game as a fan. You know, I I, I think, you know, if there maybe is an example of a player that has done that for you over the years. Because, you know, even when I look at some of your projections, I'm like, where is he getting this from? And I know you can't go into how you get all that information, but. I'm really fascinated as to how, how has that gone for you as sort of like maybe like rethinking your own mindset on players as well?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, You know, you have projections, right. But you know, people want to do their own analysis and people want to have their own rankings. And you know, how do you marry the two? Um, Well, first of all, you know, you have to understand how projections are made and what projections are really from. You know, projections are going to be computer-generated based on how statistics have played out over years with regression, right? A player who hit, you know, uh, 300 last year is probably not a 300 player. Maybe he's a 280 player. Just how much? Well, computers are really great with that. If you would say, for the rest of your life, I can only trust projections or I can just do the eye test and make rankings my own, You take projections. Projections are going to be right in the long term. What you do have to know is where there are some blind spots of projections where your eye might be better. One big part is playing time. The computer doesn't know what the manager is going to do for the year, doesn't know that, oh, you know, we're, we're really trying this guy out. We want to give him as much shot as we can. We see him as a utility player play everywhere. He's going to get 600 at bats. Right, A computer doesn't know that. So if you have a better intuition than any of the models on how much playing time a player can get, that's the best source of increased uh, value. I mean, guys like Ben Zobrist over the years always project lower because they can't spot where is he going to play. He, he's not in the second baseman. He's not the outfielder. He's not the shortstop. Well, I guess instead of 500 bats, we're gonna give him 400 at bats. But your eye test would know that, well, actually, he's a high skill player. He's used in a certain way, but he's going to play more. Ben Zobrist would always come better if you had the intuition. But you have to know that about projections, that projections are going to undervalue those types of people. You also have to know that if a player changed something last year, his skill level is not going to be the same as his three-year average. right? If he all of a sudden last year said, you know what? I'm going to throw more four-seamers up in the zone because he switched teams, and now that's going to happen. Well, in the last three years, if you look at his skill sets, which projections value, you're not going to get the right information about what the guy is going forward. You have to know that the pitch mix was different. He's now throwing the better pitches more and he's got a new repertoire and he's paired this pitch with this pitch. That eye test is going to be better for the mind. So for a lot of those information, how about a player new swing? Oh, he changed his stance. Projections don't know that he changed his stance. It's reading off of some numbers. So anytime you have soft information that just can't be in projections, that's something that you got to do. On the flip side, if you start with – you should always start with projections. Take ATC, spit out what the rankings are, what the values are for the players, and then say, okay, here's my base. Now let's go through it. Do I believe this for this this number for this player? Do I believe he's going to have 40 steals? Wait a minute, I think he's going to have more. And then adjust. Like Take rankings – and adjust off of that with your own intuition. Don't go too far because projections are going to be right in the long run, but you can just start with the base, make fidgets as you want. It's also fun. It's also part of your game. I don't want to take the fun out of it and say just use ATC verbatim. I don't. On my podcast every week, I go through all the players that ATC says, this is an undervalued player. And I say, okay, do I trust it? And sometimes, most of the time, I say, yep. ATC makes sense. I believe it. He's undervalued. And sometimes I say, wait a minute. Nah, I don't believe it. He actually had a change. You know what? He's he, the, the, this team doesn't want to run anymore. He's actually hurt or maybe the outright. And, and then you say, okay, well, I don't believe ATC. And then you, you put him down your rankings, right? So you want to use both, but start with projections. That's going to be the base and the overlying factor. And then uh, adjust as you will and, and have fun. Listen, if you want more Mets on your team, if you're a Mets fan, go for it. I'm not saying no. It's, a, it's, it's your fun. It's your own thing. Uh, so that's the advice. I hope that answers your question. You know, it does. Um, and one, one prime
0: example that I can think of that hasn't necessarily, obviously, because it's spring training, so we haven't been able to see him this year, is Jordan Walker. I just saw the other day that he had really made a big change in his batting stance. And it's a lot more compact, and it's a lot more shorter to the ball, and and things that I mean, the guy's already a scary player, and I'm guessing I I, I don't have uh, his projections right now in front of me. I'm sorry, but he is a man that many are very very excited about, and uh, as a Cub fan, I'm I'm terrified of. So he is a guy that I think of when you when you mention all this that I really appreciate your honesty there, where it's it 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 may may be completely different this year because he's made such an altering change.
1: Yeah, Jordan Walker, ATC Projects, 18 homers, 10 steals, a 268 bat- batting average. I saw him a couple years ago. I, I go out every year to Arizona for the Arizona Fall League as part of the Baseball HQ. First we'll game. have to
0: meet up one time. We'll have to meet up one time for that. Uh-oh. I'm out here. I absolutely Uh-oh. love it. It's so much it, fun.
1: It, especially if you're out in Arizona, you should definitely come to the First Pitch Conference. You just hang out with all the industry guys, hang out and watch all the games together with everybody. Uh, we've got live podcasts there. It, it's just so much fun. You can even do fantasy drafts while you're there. So definitely recommend coming. Once you go, you'll be hooked. You'll come forever. Uh, but I, So I was out there at Arizona, and I saw him play in the Fall Stars game. I mean, he's a guy that, he probably wouldn't have been the Arizona Foley because he was above that level, but he just lost a lot of playing time from injury earlier in the year. So they want to give him more reps. And I remember like in the four stars game, even the last at bat and the game was already over. Like they already won the game and he's like, all right, I'm I'm in there. I'm just gonna go for Homer. Like, you you can just see the way he's swinging and it looked like he didn't take much to just lift the ball all the way to right field, opposite field, Bull was caught at the warning track, so but he just missed it, and he you could just sense the ease. He just looks so skilled. Um, something by the way, when you see a person in real life with your own eyes, that just beats everything. You can see the raw skill. Um, look, he's he's a young guy. Last year was a little bit of, um, you know, hit didn't hit the ground running, tuned up in the minors, came back so. Good players don't always hit the ground running. It is a process. A Rod came up and he wasn't great the first year. Mike Trout was not great his first year. Second year he was amazing. So you could see the skills. He's got a lot of tools. Jordan Walker, um, really love the guy. Sorry that you're a Cubs fan, but uh, he's he's gonna rake against your team. That's just what it is. <laughs>
2: And it does go to show because I'm looking at some of the projected Zips has him for 27 home runs, and yours, you know, ATC has him for 18. And so it is, you know, not all projection systems are equal, right? And a lot of them maybe value certain things more over others. I don't know if you wanted so, to touch on that, but
1: so yeah, so Zips. So there's two different projections on Fangraphs that you should be aware yeah. about. There's Zips and Zips DC. Mm-hmm. The Zips projection, and I I know Dan Zimborski, one of my colleagues over at Fangraphs. The Zips projection. Is does not take into account playing time as you would um, for a fantasy league. It basically projects at what he would do as a full major leaguer, and we're talking about oh, you know, six hundred at bats or whatever it is. So, to add play when you're doing fantasy, you do have to add the playing time, and he's not going to get full full playing time. He'll get most of it, obviously. Uh, So, just a word of caution on the zips. In general, they're just going to overproject a lot of players. There's way too much playing time there. Zips DC takes what um, roster resource gives as the playing time, shoots it up into the the Zips projections, and that makes it a lot more palatable towards towards uh fantasy. But yes, Zips in general is at the high side of that. Um, there are projections uh, like uh, the uh, the Bad X, which actually projects them much less. The yeah. Bad X has them only at 15 homers. Uh, Bad X is uh, by my, my buddy Derek Carty, who uh, I trust a lot for power numbers because uh, he does a great job. It's one of the best ones. cast is into the Bad X. But yeah, ATC really looks at a lot of, a lot of things, and it's always going to find some kind of middle ground. I don't believe 27 homers. I don't believe 15. I think it's going to be somewhere in the middle, uh, and that's, that's one of the things that ATC does. Hey, listen, Jordan's a great player. So even if there's not 100% value in the homers, he's still going to steal. That yep. high average is going to play. He's a good well player and fun to watch.
2: Yeah, I just used homers as kind of a baseline. And, you know, emphasizing what you said about the playing time, right? So the Zips, one that I mentioned, has him at 152 games. Every other projection, which I'm assuming you said comes from fan graphs, is at 131, right? So right. 21 games more, high-end projection obviously yeah that makes sense as to where that number comes from um are there and i'm thinking more historically right maybe when you first started doing this you know and and maybe you started to see your process really start to take off and work and you're like i may have something here just for myself were there any players that you know really like your projection really nailed or vice versa were there any that your projection went way too far on that that you made you reevaluate like what were some maybe key moments in your, your projections lifetime that alter like players or moments that kind of alter you. Like, wow, I really
1: need to rethink what I'm doing here or wow, I've really nailed this. I love that question because it's sort of exactly the opposite of what ATC tries to accomplish. ATC does not actually go for, I really nailed this player or you won't see ATC making the big mistakes also, right? Because ATC is a wisdom of the crowds approach. It's not about really nailing any one player. I'm not going to project that Aaron Judge is going to hit 62 homers. I'm not. You're not going to see any outsized projection there. Um, It's about being directionally right on people. It's about the hit rate, the success, the frequency of success of projections. When you project a player over the market and you're going to buy him, that's and it's correct, that's a success. If you project the player is much worse than the market and you don't buy and that's correct that's a success you want more of those successes and it's not about and people think oh I really got to find this guy's you know a breakout guy it's not about that it's getting more players right because the the actual magnitude doesn't matter as much let me let me tell you why if you have a player that you project is a 20 dollar player okay and the market thinks he's a 15 dollar player you're going to buy whether you're correct and he's a $20 player or whether you're wrong and he's a $55 player, you still bought him. Right? You get the whole upside because you bought him. If, as long as your projections tell you goodbye, you're going to buy him and you realize the entire upside. If you stay away from a project of a player because your model says don't buy, it really doesn't matter how wrong you are or how bad he is you're staying away from all the downside and you won't realize all those losses. So it really matters the percentage of the time and although ATC won't have these ginormous oh my god I will come across players that really worked, right? But it's not like I can point to any one player, right? It, I was right on players who were right by $20, who were right by just $3, right? Everyone helped you in fantasy like just just from last year. ATC was directionally right on guys like Matt Olson, Freddie Freeman, Yandy Diaz. I guess Yandy Diaz, ATC, said that he would be $15 over what he was going for in the market. That was way correct. Guys like Christian Walker, Marcelo Zuna, ATC said was a great bargain last year. Guy like Nico Horner, uh, uh, Spencer Steer, um, Alec Bohm, Luis Arias. Like So these are guys who are all, you're probably saying, oh, those are really big bargains. But ATC was also right on little guys like Andrew McCutcheon. He provided a little value. ATC was right on him also. So it's, it's about all both. You'll stumble on just as many big ones as you are little ones. But just remember, it's not about the magnitude. It's about the frequency. I can't sound more actuarial than I do right there.
2: <laughs> so maybe the question, and and maybe this gets into too much of how you make your projections, but maybe then the question is, did you have years where your projection system worked really well, and then maybe some years where it didn't work well, right? Because that seems to be right. That's,
1: yeah, covering. That's that's a great question, um, and, I, and I can talk a little bit about how it's made in general. Um, the uh, that's a great question because the theory of ATC is that you'll be right in the long term. I expect ATC not to be the best projection in most years. I I assume that one projection system will pop up in any one year as oh my god they're right but ATC should be towards the top um it happens to be that when you aggregate so many players there's enough sample size of players in the universe that we're projecting that it's right for so much in every year and and every year the last five years fantasy pros has said my projections are the best my own uh, game theory uh, projections comparison that I do every year says ATC is the best it's ready it's best in the long term I know. But it's also really great in, in any one year. Now it's never great in different pockets. When I do my analysis, I show that okay, the top 50 players, how about the next 50 players? How about the next 50 players? In any one pocket, I might be it's towards the middle. There, there are projection systems that are better for high value players or for low value players. But overall, I'm one of the I'm above average. So when you look at the whole player pool for even for the one year. It shows, and the 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 biggest test was the COVID year, where I said, "Okay, it's only sixty games. Yeah. There's no way that ATC is going to be the best here," and it still yeah. was. So that really gives me reassurance that this works so much quicker than you think. Um, I, I don't know if you guys want me. I'll, I'll get into a little bit about what ATC is about, but in general, it, 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 it takes it, it takes the, the um a bunch of projections and and three year history also, but it, it it aggregates a bunch of projections, the smart things about each. Like when when you look at um, a hurricane model. I do some hurricane models at my job. The, the you look at the the you know, there's always like a band of like a five-day cone and a three-day cone, and you don't know exactly where they're. And then there's a center line that goes in the middle where that's probably where you're gonna be, but there's differences. Well, that actually is formed by not just one, but two. There's like eight hurricane models. Have you ever seen those spaghetti models? If the the consensus is formed by different models, and there's some models that are better for temperature better for wind speed better for um um, anything you know any kind of statistic with weather uh it's better for you want to take the best elements and what each projection is good at and when you make the three five-day cone it smushes it together to give the most the best estimate and the betting average in the long run that's what atc sort of does and i've got a model for for homers i've got a model for strikeouts i've got a model for everything and it's a best guess scenario again it's never going to find the outside stuff it's just going to give you the best betting average over the long run and that's
2: like you know even just you
1: saying that right now kind of
2: flicked a light bulb in my head of like Oh, well, duh. like that makes sense. He's going to break it down by like, you know, home runs and walks and strikeouts and how many of each of those we can expect. For some reason, you know, I, I pictured like you doing one individual player, rather like the whole of a player rather than the individual yeah, stat. Yeah. The
1: opposite. It's, it's horizontally, not vertically. Right. right. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah,
2: that's OK. Right. Tyler, I don't know. Did you uh, have I, the next I'm one? getting up. A-
0: I'm getting a lesson right now. Uh, I, I, I'm. I'm. It's very cool to me because, so like I mentioned earlier, obviously I got more into fantasy baseball this past year, and you know I learned from Vinny as to like your tiers and the way that you look at players and the way that you want to structure your draft and this and that. But getting into the side of this is so fascinating to me. What do you see as now the future? Of ATC and how this rolls out? Like, is it more just, Hey, we're just looking to be as, you know, as accurate to the fan as we possibly can, or do you guys have other things in mind as to maybe how you want to grow this, this thing that's already exploded?
1: Um, yeah, I'm not really a future guy. I'm like, just roll with what you can do. And listen, I've got I don't have a a, a gargantuan amount of time between everything I do. And all the. I I was talking with you before the show, you know, I I play music, I run softball leagues, and and I have a job. So, uh, you know, it's I. I don't have that much time. The
2: projection guy doesn't live in the future very much. That's that's well. It, well. I mean, we
1: live we live in forecasting the future, but uh, but over the years, i've I've just done more stuff with ATC. So one thing I did uh, last couple of years is I uh, put out some volatility metrics with ATC. I think the 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 future of projections, I believe, has to have a risk component, right? To say that a player is a fifth rounder, it doesn't tell you the story. There's fifth rounders that are more set, that have a higher floor. There's fifth rounders that have upside. A guy like Ellie Dela Cruz is a very different kind of player than a Francisco Lindor, who's done it. There's upside, there's floor, right? So you need to know a little bit more. And... ATC does paint that picture. I've got volatility metrics that say just how volatile projections are, just how volatile a player can be. And I think the future is really a pricing and understanding, a risk-adjusted pricing of take a player – He's got this average expectation that projections say, but then there's volatility associated with it. Then there's, is he going to be hurt? How does that affect it? And adding the volatility really into the projections and into the pricing mode. So if I had to pick some future element or stuff we need to build as a fantasy community, uh, I think risk is the final frontier.
2: I, I was just reading up to um, a little bit before this and I, I stumbled upon it and maybe I shouldn't have, I wish I would have seen this earlier, but I want to hear it from you, this projection system, but then you, you label it as the game theory approach. And I I know like 2% of game theory, like I've heard it and I, I, you know, I know that it's something that people study and how does that influence it? What can you explain what game theory is and how that kind of helps you or hurts you? Like what? Walk us through that approach.
1: Yeah, the game theory approach that that I do in terms of comparing projections has to do with it's more important to test whether a projection set was effective than accurate. You know, as I said before, you you can be directionally right. You can be off by a million miles. You can say, I'll put it this way. Let's say next year, Aaron Judge, okay? We project him for 45 homers and let's say five steals. What if next year he had five homers and 55 steals. Would he be valuable for fantasy? The answer is yes, but I would be terribly inaccurate with my projection. It's totally wrong, but he still has a lot of value, and if my projection system said buy him, well, it still is effective that I had him on my roster. Now, obviously, that would be a colossal mistake if that happened. But just to drive home the point, it was an exaggerated case there. It's it's less about how accurate it is to the dollar, to the homer, to the this it's more about effectiveness what having a set of projections if it makes you buy a certain set of players is that more effective to you being a better fantasy player so that's what my game theory projection is all about and it basically simulates okay being that my projections say that i can have these five players and pass on these five you know look at the probabilities and what the projected profit is and over some simulated years it tells you in the long run, would I be better off with a certain projection set or not? And, and that's what I mean by game theory projections. It's effectiveness over accuracy. And the one thing that I guess, maybe
2: this is just my not playing auction league. So I'm kind of misunderstanding. And I don't really even know if I know how to form this question, but I'm going to try. So bear with me. Right. So I noticed, right. And you you say you, you basically want your players to fall like into two categories, right. Whether the auction price is greater than the price point or vice versa right the price point is greater than or equal to the auction cost so when you're doing these drafts are there ever you know a string of five guys that fall into one like you know your projection system tells you you should buy these players these players are in the buying category like i um so i was curious right as you have maybe five players in a row that your system says buy these players you know, like how do you balance out? Because obviously you only have so much money to spend and, you know, I guess I'm just confused on how the, the binary system of that works, because I assume there's so many players that your system says, buy, 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 and you can only buy
1: so many, or you can only pass on so many. So I don't know if that question makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's auction. It's auction dynamics. You only have a certain budget and there might be some players in a certain region or price point that you're going to have more of than some of the others. Uh, but you have to know how to navigate that. Now, when you have a bunch of players, let's say five in a row that have the same price point, and ATC says buy because they're a bargain, that's what I call a hot spot. And when you're planning your auction, you're planning what price point and tier that you're going to play with. You have to be aware of the hot spots. And you know, well, if if there's five players that are about eight dollars that ATC says you should buy, well. I'll probably buy one, right? You're not going to buy one, but one, but you can plan that ahead and you can say, all right, I'll have an $8 slot. because I'm probably going to get a bargain there with five players, the probability of getting one of them at eight, sure. Whereas some players, if you say, well, I have got a $25 player that's undervalued. Well, if somebody in my auction really likes that guy, I'm not going to get him. So you have to plan for that. You're going to have a higher probability of getting it. And so it's your job as an auction player really focus on the places where you think you're going to play and then there's of course expect unexpected places where hey i didn't think i would buy in this pocket but you do there that's an auction dynamic thing sure. it's about navigating okay. the auction that comes with practice and and uh, i mean you can listen to my show uh the beat the shift we do a whole episode on that um and, and just to talk you through how you can you can navigate the auctions that way
2: yeah yeah i, I definitely am going to start and you've inspired me to maybe start because i've consider doing projections but I, I kind of am like you when you start i have no idea where to start i feel like it's such a monumental task that maybe it's something that you just start doing small snippets of here and there and but if
1: you're american you should be playing all <laughs> options
2: can you i you actually, really
0: quick really quickly uh ariel can you just walk us through like if i because for me i actually don't know how an auction league works so can you walk us through just how that all works and like the, the money there. that you're, yeah, yeah, no, because this is <laughs> yeah. this is actually really cool. I, I actually never learned about this.
1: Oh sure, I mean a snake draft. You know, you, you there's you go in order. I pick this guy. Guy pick this guy. Pick this guy. You're gonna get to twenty three players, right? Just in order. So you have to take a first rounder. You have to take a second round You have to take a third rounder, and so on and so forth. But what happens in an auction is they give you two hundred and sixty dollars or some some number. That's the number that they started with, and everyone uses that for some reason. Here's two hundred sixty dollars, and during the auction somebody you take turns nominating so i throw out julio rodriguez i throw out bobby witt and we take turns to go out of the around the room nominating a guy you start off with whatever starting price if you want that player you bid another dollar i want him 15 17 20 30 40 if you want acuna right unless you're the number one pick you ain't getting ronald acuna is that fair by the way is that fair then no that totally it's, not it's not fair yeah. right In America, we preach fairness, so you want to get be able to chance. So if you want Ronald Acuna, you can pay for him. Now, you might say, well, I want to budget more for other players, so I don't want to go over 40. But some players will say, I'm going to go to 75, you know, and it's up to you to decide how much you want to pay for him. You want him, you get him, you just have to pay for him. And then you have to have to value how much is Ronald Acuna really worth? Because sure, I can take Ronald Acuna for 75 and I got the best player, but then I won't have enough money to get some fifth and seventh and twelfth rounders that might help my aggregate team. So it's about knowing how to disperse the money. And then you just take turns going around and you keep bidding on players. You really want a guy, you get him. If you want five fourth rounders, you can do it that way. I've done that kind of strategy before. If you want four first rounders, sure, but then you'll only have 20th rounders after that, you know, down to a dollar a player. So that's sort of how it works, and it's a lot of fun. There's more math involved in figuring out, but there's a lot more freedom, and there's more action. You're involved in every single play. I can get any player I want, right? I don't have to do it. I don't have to wait. And you can nominate players. Maybe you want to nominate a player. Well, I don't want this guy, so let's just nominate him. Have a little bid and get money off the board. Or maybe, you know what? I really need to know if I get this guy. You nominate him, and then you get him. So there's nomination strategies. Yeah. And then there's fun, just with you and your friends shouting out numbers. And then there's poker, right? There's a bluff. I don't really want this guy 25 and the guy goes 26. I gotcha. You've spent another $2. So there's poker involved. There's psychology. It's the ultimate. If you've never tried an auction, definitely try it. You, I'm not going to say you won't go back to snake drafts, but um, you, you're going to like it. I have not met people who said that, you know, this is an experience. This is interesting. It sounds like an experience. It's a, it's a, I. I,
0: I I've never done any, obviously, like I mentioned, um, but the poker side of it that is very fascinating. I, I thought the yeah.
2: nomination part was was kind of cool, like the nomination strategy. Who you nominate? Oh, does that mean you like a player, or you're trying to push them off? I mean,
1: oh, totally. Um, but yeah, listen to my podcast that I did on auctions, yeah. and um, at PitchCon, Nick Pollock, PitcherList, put together, uh, I had a presentation all about that. I talk about nominations, I talk about the psychology, I talk about hypnotizing opponents can't believe what goes in there but uh <laughs> it's right i i people have fallen asleep i i, I go to a live room and somebody's like oh, i fell asleep what happened well i hypnotized you you didn't realize it oh, there's so much involved it's, it's so much fun
2: yeah and yep. i know because i i actually i was very upset i found out about PitchCon the day after it was over I know it's all though, recorded somewhere on Nick Powell. I think it's on Pitcherlist. Yeah, go to go to the right?
1: Pitcherlist uh, YouTube page and yep. go to uh, the uh, playlist, and you can see all the pitch. You can actually see Pitchcons for the last couple of years if you wanted. Yeah, uh, but go on. It's very worth. It's like fifty five hours worth of great content for this year. Uh, Nick Pollock, uh, one of my buddies in the industry, does a really great job. I encourage everybody to take a look at that.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's one of the the titans of the industry. Really, like, I mean. I yeah, love listening to Nick. And you mentioned first
1: pitch Arizona. Yeah. Ty and I will definitely do our best to be out there this year. Um, oh, for look. sure. And yeah. I'll see Nick Pollock. I'm going to Florida in two weeks uh, to do an auction with him. He's in my league. So I'll be competing against him. And, and he came on my show. He's like, all right, I'm sitting right next to you, Ariel. So we'll be <laughs> sitting next to each other and you can even hear it. It'll be on Sirius XM radio on the fantasy oh, station. Cool. They'll be covering our draft live from, uh, from uh, Clearwater, Florida.
0: well, Ariel, we're coming up on the uh, end of the hour here. I think I would love to hear my last question is actually about your Mets and how you feel about them this upcoming season. I wanted to give you your flowers there and give you some time to talk about them a little bit. What are your thoughts on this year? There, I mean, what a roller coaster it has been the last two years. I couldn't imagine the what fans per you know describe Cohen and how that all works with obviously living in New York, it's a it's a different ball game when it comes to fan bases. Just your thoughts on this upcoming season and how how it's gone the last couple of years as well.
1: Well, first of all, Steve Cohen is my uncle. I don't know if you know that.
0: No, I'm just kidding. I'm just I was kidding. like, "Oh, oh man, no, you had me going for a <laughs> you second. You can't do that. You yeah. can't do that. You're really good. I can tell how you're really good at those auction leagues. That's, and poker, uh, right? There's,
1: there's, there's a psychology. Yeah. <laughs> I, I either use for that joke. I either use Steve Cohen or sometimes I say Gary Cohen, the announcer. I I don't, I don't know how how much you know. You guys know the announcer, but the the announcer of the Mets is Gary Cohen. Also, okay. I actually went to the same bowling alley when I was younger as Gary Cohen. By the way, different <laughs> league, but I, yeah. Anyways, um, it's funny, but. Uh, um, I had on Keith Rad, the uh, Mets radio play-by-play announcer, on my show a couple weeks ago. And before, before before we we got on air, I said, "By the way, we're also you know we're a national show, but we're also big Mets fans." He's like, "Oh, you mean like miserable Mets fans?" So he sort of get he he got the culture right away. Um, we're we're constantly disappointed. I mean, we've got 86 that I don't really remember. Although my my dad did take me to the parade. He says that I was at the parade, so I guess. One of Um, the best
0: documentaries I've ever seen once upon a time in Queens 30 for 30. It's my one of my favorite
1: documentaries. Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, I love Daryl strawberry as a kid. He just hits the ball so much farther for this skinny guy who, who looked, Um, I had Howard, Howard Johnson was my dad's favorite player back in the 80s. I had him on my show also. That was really fun. Um, Doc Gooden was supposed to um, come and play a softball game in my league this year. That didn't happen. Uh, He didn't have time. He was in town, but um, so, uh, you know, we're connected to, to that team. We're st- still go on. I was at a bunch of the playoff series when we played against the Cardinals. I was at game six where, where we won Jose Reyes at a home run on the first pitch. So we have a long history, but a lot of disappointment lately. Uh, we had high hopes le- last year after a great hundred plus season win the, f- the previous year. And it just didn't, didn't go well. And then we traded it all. Uh, honestly, I don't really have high hopes for us. Uh, making the playoffs, making a run. I mean, the ATC projections do project the bets with about a 30% chance of making the playoffs. So it's not like it can't happen. You start hot and you never know. But I don't realistically think it's going to happen. I'm more looking towards 2025 when you've got all the, the guys, you know, uh, uh, C- uh, Cunha coming up and Jet Drew Williams Gilbert. Up. Williams. Gilbert. Gilbert might show sixth- up this year.
0: Super exciting, man! I absolutely loved watching him at Tennessee. He's got one of the best walk off home runs I've yeah. ever seen in college baseball.
1: <laughs> oh, I've never—I got to check that out. And it is epic.
0: It's against, um, uh, oh my gosh, it was in the regional, and it's just—it's so epic. It's so outlandish yeah. with the way that he handled everything. But that was how Tennessee was that year in general. But. There are some really exciting players coming
1: up. Yeah, and Ronnie Mauricio is going to be hurt next year. But you know what? I'm excited to go to a game this year because last year we didn't have Edwin Diaz. And one of the lures of going to City Field is coming the ninth inning and hearing the trumpets play for Edwin Diaz. If you haven't heard it, it's great on TV and in person. Oh, my God. And I was there that week when he played the Dodgers and they had uh, Timmy Trumpet himself play it live mm-hmm. when he came in that was like the height of everything that was, it was so much fun. The crowd was into it. You're waiting for the trumpets to play. So I'm excited to go back and and actually attend the game this year, whether we're a great team or not. Diaz will be in for quite a a number of times. So I'm, I'm excited to go to a game this year. It's been a long winter guys. And uh, there's snow on my, on my lawn right now. So I'm, I'm ready to uh, I'm ready to play.
0: We're all ready. We're all ready for it. Um, Well, we are come up here on the hour. So thank you, Ariel. We really, really, really appreciate your time. And I did not think I'd be learning some of the things that I got to today, which I always truly appreciate in any interview that we do. So thank you again. Um, I know, you know, just one last thing, just want to let you kind of give a shout out uh, to your show again. Would you mind walking everybody through again? What's your show and how can people go listen to it?
1: Yeah, I do the Beat the Shift podcast on any one of those aggregators, uh, Apple, Spotify, whatever, uh, and Beat the Shift. Uh, It's got that brown symbol of a silhouette of a guy trying to – that was back when the shift was uh, in play. Now the shift is banned. So the first question I got is, hey, are you going to change the name of your show? Uh, No, we'll just (laughs) stick with it. Uh, But it's a great show. So one thing we do is, um, unlike Sleeper in the Bust with Paul Spore and and Justin Mason, we don't cover – a ton of players obviously we have to talk about some players but we talk more strategy how to know how much to bid in fab when to drop a player when to do this. should you take risky players what's your strategy for old players how to value a foreign player just strategy elements that you cannot get everywhere else worth listening to uh so give us a give us a listen give us a follow and if you like it give us a five-star review give this pod a five-star review if you're listening to this really guys do a really really great job I told you guys before you guys have fantastic voices like this we can listen to you guys all day long well uh, the voices
2: doesn't the voice doesn't matter as much as the information when you're giving out great information like you are I could listen all day and I love the voice over I mean I just I'm a huge fan I already just went and followed beat the shift and I'm gonna start listening as I as I approach my first auction league this year so yeah thank you I mean huge thank you for everything that you've done and inspiring me to kind of join the American side of, of fantasy <laughs> <Yes>. but- <laughs> try to be an American today
0: <laughs> oh man well thank you again Ariel we really appreciate it and just like he mentioned everyone please go follow his podcast and uh you know give it a five star review as I promise you you will learn something new today well to everyone that tuned in thank you so much for listening to another edition of the Big Fly Pod and we'll talk to you